So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Here we are back with another episode of the Running Rugby podcast and we're almost through this year of rugby. There's one more round of this European tour. Sure, there's another Barbarians game after that, but there's there's not long to go until we take our Christmas breaks and that'll be it for 2021. Running through some of the games on the weekend and I think everything sort of worked out as we thought, aside from one notable exception, but... Japan took down Portugal, 38 to 25. Japan playing uh, a bit of their B side there as well. Scotland held it onto it early against the box, but eventually were just overwhelmed by the sheer power there. 30 points to 15, a double from Hogg. Italy uh, went down to the Pumas. Pumas finally get a bit of winning, uh, taste of a win in 2021, 37 to 16. Uh, They've been waiting for that for all too long. Australia went down to England. Again, a case that our defence was working well, but on attack just could not put it together. That scoreline made worse by a late try uh, to reserve Jamie Blamier. And then earlier on Monday morning, we had France take down Georgia 41-15 and Wales fought off a valent Fiji inside uh, that copped three different cards, a red card, two yellows, um, but they were still ahead until late in the game. But uh, four tries in the last 20 minutes for Wales, and they get back in front 38 to 23. Lewis Rees Zamet uh, with the clinching try there as well. But probably the biggest upset uh, of the weekend, and something that I had the pleasure of watching with many All Blacks fl- uh, fans on delay on Sunday morning, was the Valent Irish at home in Dublin taking down New Zealand 29 to 20 nine-point victors here, and it was also sweet for James Lowe, who uh, the previous Chiefs player moved over to Ireland, uh, gained, already had sort of um, ability to play through his grandfather, gets selected for his first game against the All Blacks, gets a try, gets a win. How special was that, guys? Mate, I think it's huge. I mean, there's three Kiwis in that Irish back line. So, I mean, maybe some mixed emotions, but that's a pretty amazing result for those guys that have really plied their trade in Europe and put in, you know, significant time over there and to come to this point for them is, yeah, it's huge. And Ireland just continue to be that team that New Zealand has trouble with, um, similar to the Wallabies with Scotland. So great to see and pretty emotional scenes in a full stadium over there in Dublin. Yeah, their control over the game um, is something that should be, I suppose, marvelled at considering how other teams just struggle to dictate to the All Blacks. Um, All Blacks just, you know, out of sorts in this game and sometimes they're good enough to play through that and find their way and come back better in the second half, have a bit of a break, reset, get going again. That's that's almost their trademark that even when they are flustered, they they very quickly get back on their game and, and reset back to their fundamentals. But just didn't happen in this game and 
Ireland just chip, chip, chipped out in in front, kept taking the penalties, kept taking the points, and built a margin and won the game. Mm. Yeah, and those Kiwis that you mentioned, terms like Jameson, um, oh, I can't remember. What Gibson Park. Gibson Park, yeah, the halfback. And then you had Bundy Arkey and Joey Carberry, the reserve 10, who's probably the future there, is originally born in New Zealand, though moved back over um, so early on. So a lot of sort of maybe lost talent that the All Blacks and um, Ian Foster might be looking at with a little bit um, of sadness not, not to have them available for himself. But it seemed like the biggest problem here, New Zealand, like, couldn't put their attack together. TJ Perinara at nine really wasn't very impressive. Uh, they'd obviously flown Aaron Smith over, um, but didn't feel like he was ready to start in this game. But I think he gave them, um, they gave TJ a lot of time before even bringing on Finlay Christie. And the All Blacks just were, did what they normally do, and they kicked a lot of ball away and waited for mistakes with good defence. But Ireland just did not make mistakes in this game. They really played um, very smoothly in all their attack. They were very measured. They had really good sort of tactical kicking. Every kick was sort of pinning the All Blacks back, pinning them to the side, even a 50-22 from uh, Gibson Park as well, um, really helped these guys just maintain dominance. And it was just very impressive um, from this Irish outfit that we haven't sort of seen uh, play up to this level, I think, for a few years since sort of 2018 when they took the world number one spot brief, brief, uh, for a brief moment there. It is interesting because now the media is coming out and saying like, you know, All Blacks need to really reassess what they're doing, bring in some maybe just some different players and reassess their strategies. And I wonder if I buy into that, like maybe some of the selections need to be looked at in this squad, but I think overall the talent is there to be a, you know, number one team um, consistently, um, you know, with, with Bowden starting, I don't know if that's, you know, ever since he's come back to starting, yeah, they've had some easy victories, but I don't believe he's the number one there. And obviously Aaron Smith was missing as well um, and too late for him to come back in, but to, to kind of go into panic stations a little bit over this result, I think is a little bit hasty. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. I think so. And and I still think they've got it wrong starting Barrett. Like but the, in this game, Barrett got ahead HIA, I think it was 20 minutes in or so. Didn't return. So like, so it's like still, I mean, still it's, got it's a time. I mean, I guess he's not training. Yeah. So Richie's right. still not training there with these guys. But do we really think Bowden, like they're both elite, but do we think Bowden is the better of the two? Moong has had such a such a form run. Um, I, I still I think they're doing the wrong thing not playing him. And now this week it looks like Bowden's in doubt. They're going to play yeah. France, which is the biggest challenge, I think. On and they don't tour. have Anton Lennart-Brown as well, who was injured in this. So, I mean, they really need Moanga to, to be on his best game. And if they bring Aaron Smith in, I mean, that's my first pick. If they're fit and, and um, they've been in the squad and they're prepped, prepared, Aaron Smith to Moanga while they're still at this age, like, why Why wouldn't you? I, I, think, I seriously think Bowden's a, a slight step down. Maybe they do need to go back to considering Bowden at fullback. Is he any worse, really, than Geordie? Like, I know Geordie brings a bit more of a power game, but in terms of overall skill set, I think it's pretty comparable. Um, so unless you're opting for Damien McKenzie... But what, is, back, what has Geordie done badly? Like, no, I'm hmm. not saying he, d- he deserves to lose his spot. I just think overall, if you're that desperate to have Bowden Barry yeah. in there, just put him at f- 15. 
and have Geordie come off the bench. Like there's poison in that. It didn't work in 2019. I know, but maybe that's almost um, something they need to kind of put to one side and say, okay, we're two years down the track and this can still work. Like I think if you just hold on to the fact, oh, it's a failed experiment, I think it has probably a lot more to do with the fact that Bowden wants to play 10. He's a competitive guy and he's not willing to just relinquish that to Richie. I think that's definitely true. I think the reason why the 2019 failure wasn't, you know, wasn't what they believed it would be was partially because he wasn't playing a lot of 15 in in club level, like, and he hasn't been playing it now. So to put him there and as exactly as you said, he's not really looking to play 15. It's just, it's, it's forcing it. And they have so much talent. They don't need to do that. Like they can, they can choose to mix up the tens like some countries do, like England's done it a bit, um, sort of horses for courses maybe, or just just trying to keep two guys um, developed uh, and at, at sort of a ready state depending on who's fit enough and you know, injuries and other things. But I still think Moang is the better player. I'd play, the, I'd play the hell out of him and just have Barrett coming off the bench. You've got the best injury cover possible and you just let Moanga slice through the line and set everything up. I, I think he's just that little bit better and they're missing out not using him. Yeah, normally you'd have that succession plan where the players are maybe a little bit further apart in age. Like, for example, with, say, Ronan Garo and Johnny Sexton, they had that natural transition where Garo went back to the bench and was happy to play that part as a veteran and come on late in games. But Bowden's just at a point in time where he's still pretty much at the peak of his powers. Um, and really still in the shadow a little bit of Dan Carter. And I think he wants to be seen as someone equal to him, if not better. Um, So it's really difficult, I think, for him to really be a team player and say, well, I'll do anything for the best interest of the team. I think he wants to start and being that fiercely competitive, that could be overall just a bit disruptive in the All Blacks outfit, trying to get those two in there. So Richard Moong is not going to play anywhere else. So I I don't know what else other alternatives there are. The, The coach has to make the call. And yeah. from my perspective, I think Moang is the stronger option. Yeah, and agreed. yeah, you like you can't play to the personalities. Like, what if Bowden decides, oh well, I'm not getting my chance to go overseas? Someone I, that next generation yeah. gets to. Yeah. They're not short of talent. They'll they'll find someone. That's else. right. That's yeah. like, well, okay, well, we will go and blood the guy who's five years younger than Moanga, and we'll bring him through, and we'll do exactly what you just talked about that the Irish did, and many other teams do. Mm. Which is what kind of we're probably going to be doing with Lolasiu and. Um, you know, Will Harrison eventually maybe when with these older guys still in, in the lineup. I just think it's funny that people like Bonin has any say of where he plays. Like, yeah, he might say, I want to play here, but it's a coach's decision. He shouldn't be just submitting to what the players want to do. Like you say, well, this is where I want to play. If you don't want to play there, then you don't want to play on my team. Like The, the coach is the ultimate authority. And you know what? I, I wonder co- if the coach if loses Foster his job. Feels like he doesn't have the same power as like some of the previous iterations of the All Black coaches because these guys have such star power now. He doesn't have it if he doesn't yeah. apply himself over them. Like if he doesn't set himself up as the coach, the the dominant force, then of course he's not going to have that power. You've got. I to, think it's you know, a personality type. Like Ian Foster's just not a Steve Hansen in that way, or a um, who was the previous coach? He's Graham Henry. Yeah. Like really fierce figureheads that mm-hmm. you're not going to mess with. I think Ian Foster is probably a lot more collaborative, and maybe that's 
his downfall a little bit when it comes to asserting himself over these players. Well, doesn't feel as secure in his job. So the, yeah, the newspaper saying Bowden leaves because yeah. blah, blah, blah. He'd be like, oh, well, they're just going to pin that on me, not doing what Bowden said. But it's a hasp- the, the cart before the horse. Mm. If, if the players are dictating to the coach where they play, you go, no, you play where I want you to play. And if you don't fit the, the, the 23, we've, we've got massive depth. It's a shame, but you can't all be on the field. That's it. The only person that should be able to do that in the All Blacks is if they finally get a good prop to play um, because that's the only taste that they don't have massive depth at the moment. It was just amazing in this game, looking at some of the stats and like the All Blacks made 224 tackles in this game. They missed 19. Like there's, they missed less than 10% sort of, of their tackles and that's just after just copying like so much onslaught from this Irish attack. Irish still made sort of 96 tackles and it's amazing if you can if you compare sort of that and the carries sort of count um to like the england australian game like australia made the most tackles but it was 74 in this game and we still missed 18 of those whereas england made 51 it just was obviously a much slower game and partly that was because of multiple set piece multiple stoppages it seemed at every point multiple going back and looking at multiple things and just chat back and forth, pushing and shoving. And then a few yellow cards again um, that had to be stopped, looked at by the TMO, looked at again, lots of discussion. And it just felt like uh, this game took a very long time. Not to take anything away from Ireland, but you've just got to think that like New Zealand, because of you know the trophy they are as a team to defeat, you're going to get teams most of the time on their best day, putting their best foot forward against you. And I'm actually surprised they don't, drop more games like this where it's a little bit unusual for them and they're they kind of pushed off their game a little bit and um you know these sort of results can come out of nowhere really um but there's pundits saying like oh look it's one of their worst seasons ever it's like before we're talking about oh this is this team kind of had scored the most points in a calendar year yeah now we're talking about, oh, it's one of the worst kind of It's so reactionary, isn't it? It's just like, oh, you have to blow up the whole team. You have to do everything. It's like, well. Yeah, it's crazy. Or they say lost one game to the, well, they yeah, just relax, the two guys. spring box. Like it's, yeah. I think it's all right, guys. Let's, let's move on to that Wallabies uh, England game, guys. And as we suspected, we saw some of the changes. Beal coming back into 15. Uh, we had this sort of issue with, Again, Slipper having to move across and play a tight head in the scrums in this game um, with Bell starting on the other side. Obviously, we got our debutant, Ollie, um, coming in there. A great moment for that boy coming on late in the game. And then Tom Robinson as the other reserve sort of uh, prop, but then otherwise an unchanged sort of team um, heading into this one. But it still just seemed like we, we lacked that offensive sort of cohesion a little bit, didn't we? Yeah, we, we had a lot of spilled ball. We had a lot of, um, there's, there's some really average kicks, I think, particularly one from Beal that he basically didn't kick. He kind of grubbed off his shin and went nowhere. Like, that's yeah. the sort of stuff that's, you, you, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't happen. Like, you've got enough time and space. You have, have these set pieces or sort of set plays and we still muck stuff like that up. It's just kind of amateurish. Um, and it's just such a contrast. We've already mentioned the defence was world-class. The mall defense was great. The I suppose we, we didn't actually get that many penalties at the line-out. Like recently we've had some penalties where we're 
taking the jumper early or kind of hitting guys early in the mall defense. We were really controlled in that. We held guys up in the malls on the line. We saw Nick White bust the ball out um, from the, was it the hooker? I think the, yeah. um, trying to, trying to, and that he went off injured after that. So like we, we nailed all these moments in defense, but just had um, such a disjointed time in attack. And it's, it's the same as last week when we talked about the, the obvious lack of Samu Karevi, the 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 ball just doesn't flow through the hands. We we've got clusters of players. The spacing isn't good. The lines aren't all nice and sort of you're either you know parallel advancing or you've got guys cutting very specific lines, looking at gaps. We just seem to be kind of sliding out at mixed mixed spacing. The ball isn't making the hands because guys are a meter or two wide, or you know we're throwing balls up for grabs. You know potentially getting intercepts or just letting guys get nailed so there's just a lack of polish um i don't think the the tactics or the the approach um from a from a game planning and strategy side is poor like i think i I can see what they're trying to do they're just not executing and it's and it's you know fundamentals like positioning around each other and a bit of communication and um timing and i think you just you've got to earn that you got to get that through time on the field together the chopping and changing we've had in the back line hasn't helped us at all and i definitely think like Kellaway would be better at fullback just he's been in that mix already like Beal's great but it's kind of had a couple of bealy moments in this game just like yeah do we really want that back like is he really so good that we would push someone like Kellaway who's just on the rise out i think that's probably the wrong decision yeah, my my thinking was the same as that, Leo. And my thought was that this is a guy that if he's going to be good enough to play, he needs to be able to come in and within a week be sit um, like settled in this squad um, because he's going to be coming from overseas. He's going to have short turnaround periods. So I was willing to give him sort of the start there. He had sort of two weeks with them. Didn't really show anything. I'm not really willing to give him another week in terms of not giving Kellaway that extra time who might be a valuable asset to play 15 or be a cover for 15 in the future, like versus England when mm-hmm. they come to Australia next year in the July International Series, um, if someone gets injured in a game. It feels like we play a lot of games, but really we, we don't play enough that we can share these positions around too much. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to pick some guys and stick with them long-term. And every now and then we're going to put a guy in a position for... 10 or 12 games through a through a season or, or most of and you're not going to get the development you want out of them yeah. and that sucks but you know you've, you've got to just do your best to pick the best players and give them that opportunity because that's the way they turn into teams like the all blacks mm. where they just have these amazing combinations and you know almost telepathy with each other they know exactly where each other are and they play like a, a hive mind yeah and i've think- said that Hunter hasn't quite been the same in these last few games. Len Nikitao, I think, has played well, but he's he's suffering a little bit from that Patea-esque sort of throwing the ball away a little bit, wanting to do a little bit too much. Um, and in those first couple of times he sort of came forward, he sort of underplayed his hand a little bit and he sort of was a bit more restrained and that was a little bit better and showed a little bit more. But for me, the biggest thing, it, James O'Connor still looks like he's a guy that um, has the skills, but... He just hasn't played enough footy in recent times. And so it's not just coming automatic or naturally for him at this stage. Yeah, I think he just looks a little bit directionless and lost in what he's doing. Doesn't have probably enough support around him. Um, 
So he's not quite at his peak. He's not as elusive taking on the line and making those breaks like he normally would. I think from a selection standpoint, I would have done the same thing as Rennie, putting Beal in against England with that mm, experience absolutely. and yeah. combining with Nick White and, and Jock. In theory, on paper, that looks good, particularly when you've got guys that are pretty green out there, including Ikita, Paisami, you know, Tom Wright, and Kellaway even is pretty green on the international stage. So I think surrounding them with three other really experienced guys makes sense, but Bill wasn't in form and <clears throat> I think got showed up a lot in this game. So whether he survives for the next one remains to be seen, but we've got some pretty exciting players that could come in like Parisi or Dalgunu. So maybe Bill does still find a position on the bench um, just because of probably lack of depth in the outside backs because of injuries. But, you know, there's, um, yeah, he just didn't look, he didn't look on point at all. And so I think our attack, we needed him to fire. He needed to be assisting O'Connor and yeah, really didn't see enough. So overall, again, I think it's the backs probably that let us down from an attacking point of view. I think defensively we're still doing okay probably not quite at that 90% tackle completion as a team that we were seeing in the latter half of the rugby championship. But, you know, we're doing okay. We're kind of, we're keeping ourselves in games and to not score a try and be pretty close in this one for the majority, I think is promising, but we just didn't have any of that killer instinct in us to really threaten England at key times. And I think we have to like, our scrums obviously suffered a little bit not having that sort of tight head. I think we do have to put a bit of praise on James Slipper going out there um, and at times was dominant in the, on his side of the scrum, but obviously there were times that he was showed up a little bit there. Um, so really tough, I think, uh, for the forwards in that, but pretty much in all other aspects, they were pretty good throughout most of this game. Um, the biggest blow, I think, losing Hooper late in this one, uh, and he's been confirmed out for the Wales game. So uh, James Slipper gets gets the captaincy um, they've announced for this Welsh game as well. Um, so congratulations to him, but a big blow losing Hooper, um, looking ahead to Wales, a team that we, we have lost the last two times against, um, despite sort of a history of success against them. And just also reflect on James Slipper, like this is a guy who was cast out from the Reds only a couple of years ago, a few years ago, and, and you know, has come all the way back, is now our first pick, you know, easy selection, respected in the in in the team, senior player who who now has the captaincy, like amazing journey for him, like fantastic effort. He's absolutely earned that. Um for the for the loss of Hooper, doesn't it feel painful now not having taken your other specialist seven who you would love to give um, some more international exposure to. Oh, Colby um, Fang is there. Oh, yeah, good, good. Uh, nothing I mean, against Colby, I don't but have a I think we know who that, I like. Though. I know, it's I know, not, it would have been nice. There, there's Col- value. There's value in what they've got him doing. Fraser McRide, obviously, we're speaking about here, but just now, like, obviously, you just didn't think Hooper was going to suffer some horrible injury. You couldn't play through your midfoot strain or whatever it is. Like, now it's like, oh, you know, one one game against Wales just to really see how he tears in. It's kind of a, like, you don't want to lose it, but it kind of means nothing this game in some ways. It's it's just it's the opportunity not to go winless on tour, I suppose. I don't um, know if he would have been 
pick to start, even if he was in the touring squad. Honestly, I think, I think Samu. I think Samu still probably would have started. They seem um, not like him, Samu off the bench so much, though. Yeah, I, I, but they. they I, he's just a way more experienced player, and I think McRite, like Christy Doran, wrote today that it was such a huge selection bungle. Wonder. Yeah, I, on the squad, like what? Not mate, taking come on, like, with, like yeah, I, I think I think that's that's completely that's over out of over line. saying it. But yeah. but it, think about it this way: like Fraser McRight was the under twenties captain, so he's not that green. Like he's green in the international yeah, level. But, but the, these are guys he's basically played the tier below and been a senior guy. I'm sure they would have thrown him in first start. He might as well like maybe. But you don't he get wouldn't you don't have get captained. You know, he, Fraser McRight. He would, yeah, he wouldn't have captained the Wallabies. No, of course not. I'm not saying. He's no, but that's why they were they were almost indicating that that like he would be a contender and all this oh, stuff. And like he's been the squad eventually. for the majority of this year and barely yeah. got a look in. I think. But that's who. That's Hooper. He's barely got to look in because Hooper is first pick, and he was on the bench a couple a similar of times job to Samu, and Samu was still preferred. So yeah, I think he's just such a true specialist seven that he's only really going to get a a gig when Hooper's out. Hooper's retired. Um, Hooper's form falls off completely. But but really, like off the bench, it was a very select game or two. I think it was only one French game, wasn't it? It was two French games. I think two bench appearances, yeah. And he got he got some time, but, mm. I mean, it's pretty hard to pull Hooper out of the off the field um, to give him that time, whereas this is like, oh, it's a gift. You could, you could see what he's made of. Get him out there first up, see how he copes with a Wales team who's competitive, if not world-beating, um, and, and see what you get. So I'm, I'm sad that he's not there. But obviously, yeah, Samu... Um, some other back row mix up. I'm sure we'll still to have see some more competitive guys. Yeah, that's true. It's opportunity for him. He hasn't been a huge standout when he's been coming off the bench. Like he's done some good things, but yeah. I think it was really the a bit hit and miss. when he was really seeming to combine really well. But once again, that seemed to be a lot of the time with Karevi that he would just run yeah. off the shoulder of Karevi and just we- wait for those offloads. We're yet to see Samu really bring that strong form that we sometimes see for the Brumbies, where he's yeah, just an absolute like standout. Yeah. That yeah. we always used to see for the Crusaders before he came over. We did. And I think Checker, that's why he brought him straight into the Wallaby setup initially. And then he just didn't see it kind of translate on the international stage. And I think that's still been a little bit of an issue. Um, I don't know if it's an attitude thing, because sometimes he does look a little bit disinterested in what he's doing. But when he's on, he's on. And hopefully the fact that he's starting this game, who knows, this might be the game for him to really break out. You've called it. If he, if he wants, like this is an opportunity against a pretty tough team in Wales, Millennium Stadium. I mean, it's, it's a pretty great opportunity for him. Um, and yeah, he is versatile. Like he can play six, seven, eight, but he's almost, that can be his downfall as well that he doesn't have a set position. So I think he showed his worth off the bench, you know, for the most part, but to start in this position, fill in for Hooper, like he needs to have a massive game. We really do need him to fire. Have we heard anything more about whether we will get um, Alalatoa or Tupo back for this one? Not There hasn't been much media this week, which is probably a positive thing um, because I think... If they were ruled um, out, that would be sort of... It would be in the news pretty early in the week. So they're probably training. Maybe they're still going through the protocols. But you'd have yeah. to imagine at least one of them will be available. Yeah. 
which is going to relieve a bit of pressure off slipper. I think starting Angus Bell from a set piece perspective, it's like I said last week, it's a bit of a liability. So if, even if Alalatoa is back at that tight spot, if we don't have Taniela, it's a shame. Um, but I think we can make do. And Slipper, look, again, he's done brilliantly to move across to the other side of scrum against England. I mean, they had a couple of guys out, but still that's that's a huge effort by him. Yeah, a couple of guys succumbing to COVID, Ellis Genge and Marla for them. So they had some like prop changes as well. Um, and they had quite a good, uh, impressive show from their debutante um, going up against Slipper. Um, I kind of want to see, I think, Angus Bell may well just be dropped for silly play, getting that yellow card in the game. Um, tip tackle. I don't think he's been as impressive as we've sort of seen him, whether that's just because our attack hasn't really been progressing past those seven phases very often when we do get to the stage where we're getting sort of loose forwards out in the back line or front row forwards to that extent. Um, and so you don't see sort of versatility in handling there as often, but haven't been as impressed for him now. I'm glad he's getting the game time, but I wouldn't be surprised if you see um, him maybe even out of the 23 and they give Tom Robinson a bit more time here. Because Ollie Hoskins did some good things on the field when he came on, and I was really happy for him. I think that's one of the best stories of Australian rugby for a few years now. Like a guy that was kind of not pushed out of super rugby, but he wasn't really setting the world on fire for the Western Force. And he's come over for London Irish and played five or six years consecutively for them and been really solid and then finally gets the opportunity to play for the Wallabies. And look, he's made it very clear. If that's his one game off the bench and that's it, well, he's happy with that. But I'd love to see him get another opportunity because the amount of emotion and just positive vibes from him, I thought was, was brilliant. Yeah. That's it's again, nice that he's recognized nice that someone's paying attention. Like someone's, obviously known what's going on over that side of the world. You've got some of our coaching staff who've been up involved in sort of Scottish leagues and, and around the UK for a while before they were with the Wallabies. But, um, you know, pe- people are aware of his performance. It's it's just an indicator that Australians who do go overseas aren't forgotten if you play well and you put in and, you know, there's there are pathways back. And that's why I'd like to see that the pathways for selection while playing overseas a bit more open because I think good players will still rise to the top, whatever competition they're in, need to motivate and, and incentivize players to stay in super rugby as much as you can. But some players will only develop when they go mm-hmm. into, you know, greener pastures somewhere else. And and it's nice that we can include them. Um, and obviously they've, He's, he's saved us, saved us in a, in a lot of ways in this circumstance where we wouldn't have had a prop to play. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, I think the benefit of going and playing as a forward and particularly the tight five forward, especially the front row locking um, in the northern hemisphere for a season or two, um, you can't underrate sort of that skill and experience that you learn um, up there. I think we've seen that even from Rodder being away for a year or so. Like he's, I think, improved out of sight. Um, he's played or, so many minutes. He's been great. Like he just hasn't. Yeah. He's everywhere. Like and he's just relentless. And I think he does a lot of the work that people don't necessarily see. Yeah, he's, he's very much so like a rocks. Sam Whitelock type sort of just powerhouse yeah. in the middle of the field. Does the hard stuff. Hits so many rocks. And I think that's he's been rewarded for that because the other guys like Matt Phillip, um, you know, Darcy Swain have dropped out of the picture a little bit with Skelton and Arnold coming back. And Arnold, I think, is 
is growing into this role again, like he's looking good. Skelton I've been a little bit disappointed with, but again, we haven't set, I think, it's the attacking points. platform for him. Yeah. Um, so maybe he does need a start to really get those minutes under his belt. But, guys, what do you think about Tolu? First hit off the kickoff. That oh. could have been a <laughs> exactly How what good was and that? The, commentators were, the commentators were saying it as well. They're like, they're going to have to go back and check that. They're going to go bald check. head. And, and in this game, in this game where they did go back and check the yeah, nothing plays, the fact that they missed they that, go back. he is a liability. I don't he's care what watching, you guys say. And will not get on like, board. I refuse. He's been watching Falafanger and like and Swinton. Um, and Swindon and everyone back in the show, you're doing these tackles and he's like, these guys don't know what they're doing. I'll show them how you're supposed to do it. <laughs> I mean, he got away with it, so maybe he doesn't know how to do it. But just so, like, imagine in that game when we were still in it, if he'd been carded. So, I mean, it'd be, it would be dumb or dumber than what Bell did. You should be like, yeah. get, out of the, oh. get out of the dressing room. Just start walking home. <laughs> Go away. You're an embarrassment. Like, this, we can't put up with that. It cannot be... An acceptable tackling technique, then someone in the coaching staff needs to come Especially down like a ton of bricks. It, it was, I, I, really, I loved it, bad. but it could have been it was, it was entertaining, but only in hindsight. At the time, I was like, oh my God, what I are you doing? He gets a card this week. I bet you he gets a card. If he's stuck, he may he's not playing, even be on the bench now if he's done that. Probably if they pick up on that. And if he is playing, they will be aware and the refs will be like, they missed this last week. We won't miss it if it happens. And first tackle, he will get carded. Bet you. I just can't get on board. Like it's it's such a dumb thing to. It's not even that hard to just. Even if you're not trying that hard to put your hands and your arms up and and look like you're trying, they don't even try. Like at least be clever enough to disguise it. But it's yeah, it's just useless. Just you know, wrap wrap the ankles, it's, make yeah, a tackle, man. It's just it's just insane that yeah. People that people are doing it so often and so consistently. Um, let's look at this final week of games, guys, because there's some absolute crackers. Uh, we already highlighted a little bit last week. Um, we'll start off with a few of the early games. Um, Scotland, Japan up at Murrayfield. Obviously, Japan would be hoping to make a bit of a stronger showing than what they've had um, when they played sort of Ireland a couple of weeks ago. Italy, Uruguay. Another sort of similar case from what Argentina has been doing. Italy hasn't tasted a lot of success recently. So hopefully a game for them to get a little bit of momentum. They have had a bit more of an impressive outlook um, against sort of the All Blacks early and then versus Argentina. They definitely weren't complete easy beats. Um, and then we get into the big boys. We get England, South Africa, Twickenham. We get Wales, Australia and Cardiff. And then France versus New Zealand um, in Paris. Um, followed on by on early Monday morning, you have Ireland, Argentina as well. And you wonder whether there'll be a bit of a hangover for um, those boys in green um, against a, a Pumas team that would be hoping to knock off this game as their last one of the season. But where do you want to go to first? What are you most excited to here, boys? Biggest one. You want to see in- England? Do you want, England to, see, do you want to see England? Lose. I want to see the South Africans beat England for sure. And then <laughs> it looks like they've picked a strong team. They've got Creel on the wing. Um, they've got might have to I put mean, money on that one. A lot of the guys we've we've um, seen them playing all all season, which is I'm back to Andre Pollard after a week of Yankees upstairs, uh, upstairs yeah. up and up north. Yeah, Yankees is so terrible. Yeah, I mean he's a he's a fill. I mean that's if anything, it's a rest for Pollard, right? 
Um, but yeah, I mean, this is this is a strong lineup, um, strong front row, strong blocks. Probably the best back row they can get at the moment without Steph the toy. Um, There's yeah. been a lot made of the South African front row and their second front row being like just as good sort of thing, and they get called the bomb squad um, coming on late. What do you make for the people saying they have like the top six front rowers in the world? No, it's all the all the front row dark art stuff. I find it very hard to keep track of who's really technically elite, but you can't fault these guys for energy. The the lineouts for the South Africans are pretty pretty consistent. Like they don't tend to fall apart. Like we have games where the you know the reserve hooker comes on and can't throw straight for twenty minutes, and you're just pulling your hair out. They they don't suffer that. They all run the ball pretty hard. They're all they're all consistent enough in tackle in in defense, like making tackles, um, getting through a bunch of work. And there's a lot of them fair. that for as well. And we've said this about the All Blacks in the past. Bomb, bomb the yeah. as well. Like there's a lot of pilfering power there. And a lot of aggression. And it's and it's pretty targeted. Like it's it's not it's not loose aggression. So there's certainly um they're certainly up there. I think, you know, the times when the All Blacks have had almost two starting front rows. And you know, I'm not even sure if like England and, and some I'll of the take- northern hemispheres could have really claimed that. I think this is probably the best front row squad getting around at the moment but you know you got to be aware that they're, they're aging they're not they're not gonna be around much longer they've got kids off who's getting on a bit just for one i think i mean i would take slipper and Taniella over any of them to be honest but you know i think it between think about, about as a group of six yeah yeah and i think we actually had a we had a similar competitive bunch when it was like when ceo and alalato are actually playing well we had those two, and then we had Taliella and James Slipper. Like yeah, that was huge. But our but like, stocks can't compete. Half those guys, no, I mean, Fang has done well, but you'd, you'd be throwing like Cody Taylor is the best hooker in the world, I think. Um, Malcolm Marks, I think five years ago, I think he hasn't been as good as he was when it was that really strong Lions teams of the mid-2010s. But... They're still good, like and as a unit, like you say, like you can't really fault them. I think a lot of teams at the moment, particularly with New Zealand being quite weak, apart from their hookers, their props are just not up to standard. And I think that really makes South Africa look far better. Um, I think in previous years with some of the great All Blacks props that have been around, they would have shaded them as well. What what do you expect to see in this game, um, England versus Springboks? First off, who do you think is going to win? Do you think England are going to stick with this um, Marcus Smith, Owen Farrell, 10-12 combo here, or are they going to be worried about what Marcus Smith might cop from some of these South Africans running at him? I think you have to stick with Marcus Smith based on that performance, but I think it is a real risk with guys like Daliende, with mm. some of the, the loose I said, forwards I think, coming I think at they him. do hide him a lot um, in the backfield, especially when they like... It was Paisami absolutely Paisami smashed him. him. Yeah. Um, yeah, like Paisami knocked himself direct. out, but yeah. it was a huge hit. And, yeah, he's a smaller guy, so I think he would have a massive target on his chest. Owen Farrell's a bit more robust, um, but I think he'd lose a lot just starting Farrell. And I mean, you now, could put to a laggy back into 12, but I think it's working. In England, I think 
can improve a lot based on even their performance against us. I don't think they were that great. So if they take it to another level, I'd be persisting with this combination, but you will have to, I think they'll have to be cognizant, you know, cognizant of, of Marcus Smith in the defensive line. Yeah. Now's the time to, he's, he's on a bit of a roll. He's, he's obviously rising, rising star, rising fast. Um, to take him out now, you just you're just taking away opportunities for him to be exposed to these really brutal are you protecting physical him? encounters. Are you protecting him like um, from a big confidence knock? You saw what happened to yeah. Noah last year when we started him against the All Blacks. But this isn't a series. You're not going to play these guys over and over and over. This is one experience, and this is a get out there and and experience exactly what these guys are going to do to you. They're a different style of of team that they're going to look for those opportunities to run over the top of you with the ball. They're not just going to hit you in defense. They're going to run over the top of you in attack. And you've got to get used to that because you can't just hide them forever. Like he's, he, you don't want him facing that for the first time in a world cup semi, like he needs to be exposed that now it's a one game. You can, you can have your recovery plan on the bench where you can sub him if you have to. And obviously you could, come up with strategies to hide him out on the wing or in, in the, the backfield to to try and protect him a bit. But you, you've got to get used to that physicality at some point. And the South Africans are almost unique in what they bring in that that style of play. So I think for the for the future, you're two years out from World Cup now, you really need to be trying to get get um you know miles on the on the legs of these guys in play in all sorts of conditions. If he's been good enough to get through, what was it, Harlequins, get a Harlequins a championship for them and jumped into the international team, like South Africa will be another prospect, but they're still just more of the same in some ways. But but just as a unit of 15 at the test, international test intensity, I think that's that's something you've got to expose him to now. You, they may not even play them next year. Who knows? They, I think Eddie will be tempted, though, to bring in, based on Tuolangi's performance on the weekend, I thought he was quite strong even on the wing. So you could see him being tempted to bring him in with Slade, that kind of more tried and tested combo in the centres and moving Farrell to 10 and just playing a bit more of a, you know, distributor game, less creative, but maybe it shores up any sort of weaknesses in defence. I think that's the wrong tactic, but also this South African team isn't quite the team they were two years ago. So, um, they definitely you know, seem more vulnerable than the World Cup. I Obviously, think they replay yeah. the World Cup final. They want to get the win over these guys here. I'm sure they'll lift again. Like, I think we saw that against them, you know, with the All Blacks, Springboks' first game in the rugby championship this, this year. They really lifted their game from the disappointing performances they put out against Australia. And going up against England, I think, is the next best thing for them. Um, and they'll be wanting to continue that that dominance they showed from 2019. But England, I think, have a real opportunity here. I don't know if I'm going to back them, but I think they have a lot of improvement in them. And I think almost the Springboks are kind of just holding on to that those peak performances. I'm not sure they have a whole other gear to go to, but I think England do. It may be conditional on some of these forwards being fit um, because I think the Springboks might have the edge in that department if England aren't at 100%. Um, but I think the back line's actually going to match up pretty well and England might just bring that creative flair that uh, the Springboks aren't ready for. 
So who wins? Is it the Rugby World Champions um, re-winning, re reliving their victory over England in the finals this weekend? I'm going to sure. England by three. No, I'll go. I'll go South Africa by four. I, I think. I think. Yeah, I think it's a close one. Yeah. Um, but obviously, hearts with the Southern Hemisphere team. I want to see England lose. Um, I, I think that physical style, the the way the the way the Springboks pulled it together and and beat the All Blacks, and um, you know if they have a game like that in them to finish the season and get up for it, then absolutely they will be the better team. England weren't that good against the Wallabies last week. The Wallabies were well off their game, and I think the Springboks can be a lot better. Might have to put some money on it. I mean, there wasn't a more joyous occasion than, you know, having the Wallabies out of the World Cup and then backing South Africa against England whilst watching it in London, like, it was a pretty great occasion to, <laughs> cool. to see them get absolutely wiped out. Um, yeah, it's a good feeling seeing England lose. That was also good because I had money on South Africa from before the tournament started, so I won a lot of money with that. Massive. Which great. Um, Wales, Australia... How do you think this tour ends up um, for the Wallabies? Is this going to be the first winless tour they've had, I think, since 2013, I believe, was the last time they went completely winless on a European league of a tour? Um, Robbie Dean's era. Ewan McKenzie, I think. Is it? Oh, it was Ewan McKenzie. Might have been his only spring tour, I think. Because Checker took over, I think, in the, the end of 2014. When all the the James O'Connor saga went down, I think the Waratahs had won that title, and then um, Checker was rushed into the spring tour for that year, where they weren't particularly successful. But I think they did win one or two games, and there was into the World Cup. So I think Ewan McKenzie, that was his last year in charge of the the spring tour. I, I don't think we have a winless winless tour, though. I, th- I think we can beat Wales. Um, it would be really comforting to get at least one of our props back. Um, I do want to see Callaway back at fullback. I want to see someone with some intent on the other wing. So, you know, Tom Wright needs to just cool his jets a bit and and play play well without needing to he's he's hilarious. be a cocky, cocky kid on the wing. Like, he's got so much potential, but if he's going to let his game fall apart, because of moments like that, like it's just embarrassing. So I want to see Dalgunu. I also think Parisi's probably deserving of the wing spot. Um, so between those two, should be definitely getting an opportunity. But other than that, I mean, we've got to we've got to get a big game out of someone like Pete Samu. Everyone else is holding their weight, I think. So with that, I think as long as we take our opportunities, probably kick a few points like the Welsh will. Don't just rely on scoring tries all the time. That seems to be working for us. We need to play that style of game. Yeah, I'm going the Wallabies. I think they can finish on a high and kind of um, salvage some of that respect and just, you know, just some of that positive energy that they had through those those consecutive five wins. I think, look, they'll have Slipper Fanger. I think Alatol will be back starting. Rodda, Arnold, Leosa, Pete Samu, um, Rob Valentini continue playing well. Straight into Nick White, James O'Connor. Uh, Paisami. I don't give Tate a start. No, I think I think he's still persevered with Nick White. I think you need the experience in there, um, particularly with Jock struggling a little bit. Um, I know that 
Tate can bring that extra level to his play, but I think against Wales, we might end up having to grind it out a little bit. I think Nick White's the man for the job still at the moment. Mm. Um, he's got plenty of chat out there, and particularly with Hooper away, I think you need that calming influence or, you know, that niggly influence that he brings as well. But I think uh, Parisi gets the start. Kellaway shifts the fullback. I think you'll see Dalgunu and Bill on the bench with Tate. And then I guess Colby gets a shot coming on as the reserve flanker, unless there's someone else, maybe Swinton that sneaks in. But I reckon Colby gets a shot. I think they brought him into the squad for a reason. I think he's well liked in that that um, you know, that group. So I think he'll get a, a go. Fingers crossed for Taniella as well. But I just get the sense yeah. maybe it's too soon. Hopefully it would make a massive difference here to hopefully have one or both of those guys back into it. Um, but as you said, wouldn't be upset to see Hoskins out there either. Um, so moving to All Blacks France, which I think is a really hard game to sort of interpret. I don't think the All Blacks lose two in a row very often. Um, I can't remember the last time that would have ever happened for them. Um but I'm really excited to see what this French team can do. If there is a bogey team, um, as you say, Ireland sometimes bogey team in the past for All Blacks, but France always seemed to put up a fight against them. They're the team that's knocked them out of the World Cup back in uh, 2007, which was the biggest moment, and then didn't win no easy beats even when they brought a sort of understrength squad to tour um, New Zealand uh, a few years ago as well. Um, what do you think, boys? Is this sort of the old world power versus the new and upcoming world power here? Yeah, that's how I see it. I, I think the All Blacks do get it together after this shock shake-up from Ireland. I think if they'd, if they'd beaten Ireland without doing anything too amazing, they probably would have been a little bit complacent. Um, but this, this loss to Ireland will really rev them up. They'll be very focused now. If they're anything like the the vintages from the last decade or, or longer, then they will be very focused. They'll have a plan and and they'll be ruthless. So I suspect they'll I suspect they'll end up doing the French, but I think it'll be a good contest. It, it could be potentially maybe a, a higher scoring contest um, if if the defense doesn't hold up and it's just all out attack. Um, probably somewhere in the twenties for both teams up to up to thirty maybe like there's, there's a lot of firepower in both sides. So that's what I'm expecting, but probably somewhere in the five to seven range for the All Blacks. I think they'll they'll bring bring the game and they'll bring their best players back in. And I think it's a good thing that, unfortunately, Bowden hasn't practised much this week and he's probably going to be out. I think it's to their benefit that they'll have to pick Moonga. Yeah, I think the All Blacks win and win well. I think they'll be really fired up. And, yeah. You back them into a corner, this team really is going to rip you apart. And I think despite the history with these two teams um, and the fact that France always lift, I think there might be a bit of a – they might teach them a bit of a lesson ahead of, you know, their home World Cup in 2023. I think the All Blacks really will come out and make a statement. TJ will get dropped out of the 23. Uh, I'm going to start, as you say – Mackenzie probably onto the bench, um, I'd say. And then you're probably going to have um, who Havili and Rico as your 12-13 for this game, considering the, the French potentially will play Entomac at um, 12 as well. 
I'd guess. But yeah, I do see the the New Zealand. I wouldn't bet against them um, on this one coming there. And Ireland, Argentina, last one of the weekend, guys. Um, would you take Ireland back to back here, or is it going to be um, too too many sore heads um, on that field, even a week later? Yeah, I think you still have to take Ireland, despite the amount of Guinnesses they would have had during the week. Um, Argentina haven't been, you know, the team they were the last few years. So I think Ireland at half strength, we could probably get it get it done still. Um, but who knows? Argentina might sneak a win. I'm still going to back Ireland. Yeah, I'm the same. Ireland are the the better team, and they'll be um, buoyant and and have the momentum coming into this game. Argentina will be tired after their all their travel. Um, you know, hopefully they put in the the sort of passionate performance we we usually see from them. But I think they'll be outmatched, and fatigue will certainly be a factor. The other thing that we did get uh, to see this week and World Rugby announced sort of the finalists for World Rugby Player of the Year and most improved um, World Rugby Player of the Year and Breakthrough Player of the Year um, was the other one. Um, So two Australians in Player of the Year with Hooper, Karevi, and then Anton Dupont and Etoje there. So no Kiwis, no South Africans, which surprised a lot of people. Um, and then breakthrough player of the year was Kellaway, Will Jordan, Lewis Rezaman, and Marcus Smith, who I think are the four pretty apt selections. But for player of the year, who do you think wins, guys? Um, and is there anyone that you think should have been there to win? I'm a bit surprised Karevi's in there, to be honest. Like, he's had a massive impact for us, obviously, but it was such a short stint. Um, it's interesting that, that yeah. he's made four the cut games. there. Five games. Yeah, so I mean, no doubt, no criticism. He's an excellent player, but um, look, Hooper's had a resurgent season. I think that's that's probably reasonable that he's in there, and I'm really glad Kellaway's getting recognised. I, I think he's a good shot to win. Like he has been an absolute standout as a deb, as a debutant, um, and he's already starting to cover positions that he, you know, he wasn't even seen as a squad member. Then he's in the starting lineup now. He's covering gaps. At, with with um you know skill so i would like to see him in that mix for sure yeah i think hooper has been an absolute workhorse and just yeah i think the, the time in japan's done him good he's brought so much energy to this team and i think to lead them to to five consecutive victories coming off such a damaging All Blacks series. Um, look, I think he deserves it, despite missing the last game of the season. Are there any South Africans in any of this? Because they barely played, no. I guess. I mean, they I played suppose. three games against the Lions. and then Yeah, that's played. right. They had the Lions series. But isn't they had, it, they've beaten the All Blacks. They've, does they've it like start from put... last year or... What's the, is it a calendar year thing? It's a calendar it? year. That's why it comes out oh. now. So it includes the Six Nations from the start of the year. That hence why I sort of DuPont's there. Mm. Salary has mm. been pretty disappointing though, for the most part. I just know. don't know who you would pick as a standout from them. Yeah. No, that's fair. I mean, they haven't been. Probably, has maybe. Been that might be the only person you could potentially pick. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, he has been, been pretty sort good. Of maybe not top four in the world. Willie they're LaRue. probably more of a team than, a, you know, they probably don't have that many guys that are elite individually that when they play well, they play well as 15. Yeah. So, so that's fair. 
Um, I think yeah, I mean, the recency bias makes me think Hooper, but I mean, I wasn't across the Six Nations at all. So anyone who had a had a tear away in those five games would be certainly um, considered. That's that's yeah, Dupont. I guess is that's why he's in there potential. But again, he didn't yeah he didn't travel, and so makes it a bit more difficult for him. Um, I think breakthrough. I think Will Jordan's a pretty high chance. Um, just the pure excitement watching him. Um, he's so fast. Just, yeah, and he just gets put and in everywhere. like perfect positions, but some of the stuff that he manages to do to the points is just insane. So I think Will Jordan's a pretty high likelihood there too. He's he's so outstanding. Like what an amazing player! Just, just every fun week to he's... watch. Just absolute like class. It just does it with ease. Yeah, like never looks fussed, um, and always pulling out something new. So I think he has the potential. I mean, we've seen this with a few. All black swingers, you know, like Joe Rokafoko, even Rico Yuani earlier on in his career, in terms of this number of tries. But I think Will Jordan might surpass them all. Mm-hmm. I'd be surprised. The other interesting things we've seen this week, Super Rugby Pacific um, finally was announced the schedules. Uh, so, which is great to see, including a super round, unfortunately, round two, which very early on in the season and in Melbourne. Um, so, I don't think we would have picked that as our ideal sort of spot. I think we would have opted for someone like Queensland again and maybe sort of halfway through the season. Um, but I think it's still great that they're sticking with that as a format to continue on because just as such a spectacle um, to have in this brand new competition and get people into it from the very start of the year. Yeah, it's like it's a concept that we didn't get to see last year. Um, obviously we really keen. We had travel plans to try and get there and didn't work out that way. But um, a bit for me, like it's, it makes sense. Melbourne's a market they're trying to develop. Um, it's early in the season before they've got competition in the winter sports. Um, and it's obviously a suitable city for facilities and all the, you know, associated tourism and endorsement sides of things. It's a bit weird for me that they've gone there before the Rebels have really managed to stamp a, a firm impression as a good team. I, I think Queensland probably could have picked this one up. Um, maybe, maybe the weather. Maybe the weather is a thing. Possibly sort of wet weather and um, warmer that time of year. So maybe it's the opportunity just after the Australian Open, you're sort of capitalising within um, a month or so of, of that um, competition. You kind of got a lot of travellers and focus on the area and you just leverage that um but yeah six six games through that period um like two a day good uh, or maybe not good that they it finishes on the rebels brumbies which is a bit you know probably not going to be the best game might be a bit one-sided but um yeah look like really exciting derby type games all through the weekend like it's gonna be a good showpiece i hope hope all the teams can um feel full strength sides and we get some high scores and obviously quite exciting with the two new teams coming into this competition this year. Um, and hopefully for the long term, we don't want to see constant reshuffles. I think the fact that we finally got two teams in the Pacific, you know, sure, they're not playing all their games there or anything like that at this stage, but it's a step in the right direction. Um, and I think we're going to see some pretty exciting footy being played by by both by both sides. So, um, yeah, look, it's another another look for Super Rugby, but 
hopefully we get some continuity here and we can start building towards uh, a solid future and not kind of every three years having a change of format because I think that's damaging to the code. But yeah, I think there's still room for expansion. But for now, I think 12 teams is pretty adequate. All right, let's leave it there, guys. Um, one more week of rugby in 2021, obviously with a bit of a bonus Barbarians game coming up. Uh, but it's it's all coming, wrapping up soon. And we'll have to wait, luckily, not too long before the super season kicks off again. So there's there's no real break in the life of a rugby player these days anyway. Thanks for listening in. Make sure you are following us on our social media pages on Instagram at Running Rugby Podcast or on Twitter at Running Rugby Pod and liking and subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, one more week, one more couple of early morning wake-ups to get on these games or re-watching them a bit later um, on Stan. has always been loving being able to do that, even with the mini games as well. If you don't have too much time, you can get through one of those in about 20 minutes, which is great. Let's go the Wallabies. Let's go the Springboks. Let's go the All Black Southern Hemisphere Pride right here. Uh, until next week, everyone, keep on running. Run. <laughs>